Amen. That is great singing to start off our worship this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we come before you with humble hearts, thanking you and praising you that you have provided a, a house for us to worship in, a church family to worship with, and most important, a savior to worship. Lord, we thank you that you gave your only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. We rest in that, we rejoice in that, we praise you for that. And I ask that you would be with our worship service, that in every way it would exalt you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Please be seated.
please stand together. We're going to lift up our voices as we sing, sing to the King. And then we're going to sing, shout to the Lord. And when we sing, shout to the Lord, we're going to change it up a little bit. We're going to sing, shout to the Lord like we normally would all the way through. But then when we sing it a second time, we have a key change in the middle of it and then a repeat of the tag at the end. So just want to make you aware. We're going to change that up just a little bit, but it'll be good as we worship the Lord this morning in song. Sing to the King who is coming to reign. Glory to Jesus, the Lamb that was slain. Life and salvation, His empire shall reign. Joy to
you to take your Bibles with me if you would and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to look at the very last chapter in the book of Ecclesiastes. And this morning we are going to look at God telling us what the very meaning of life is. When you go back and you look at the Greek philosophers and the philosophers throughout time, they ponder and surmise and contemplate searching for the meaning of life. And all they had to do was go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14 in the Old Testament. And there they could have found the meaning of life. Because God is going to tell us straight up what it is. So listen as I read to you these two verses. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of mankind. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, I pray that you be with us as we look at this text, as we contemplate the very meaning of life, and as you have said, the conclusion of the whole matter. I pray that you help us to really contemplate this truth and to consider it. We thank you that you give us your word and give us 
a place to worship and come to search your word. And I pray that it would be your Holy Spirit that moves in each of our hearts as we look to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Title of the message this morning quite simply is the conclusion of the whole matter. We are getting ready next Sunday to go into missions month throughout the entire month of October. And maybe the question would be asked, why do we do that every year? We do that because it is really the conclusion of the matter. It is God's purpose for us to share, see the gospel spread, disciple, and pass on to the next generation the hope and trust that we should all have in the Lord God Almighty. It's why we do missions. It's why we do church, is to come and worship and honor and glorify Him. And to have us step back and humble ourselves and reflect on who He is and who we are. As we come to this text, He talks to us that we might understand the conclusion of the whole matter. And there's really only two points in both of those verses. We find out that he wants us to understand the whole duty of man. And he wants us to understand what motivates us to seek him and to worship him. So what is the whole duty of mankind? What is it that you and I are called to do by God? He's called us to fear him. Listen to what he says again. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Now he's not talking about fear in the sense of being terrified and step back and cower and, and be afraid. He's talking about reverential fear. Of you and I stepping back and understanding that he is an awesome and wondrous God. That he is the only true and living God. That he is the creator God. And that we are not God. We are his creation. We are created from the dust of the earth. He breathed into the life of man. The very spirit that you and I have within us. He is God. We should have that reverential fear of him. Look with me, if you would, at Psalms 89. We're going to look at verses 7 down through 14. And in this text, we learn about that fear of God and why we should fear God. So look with me, if you would, Psalm 89, verses 7. We pick it up. It says, God is so greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. So you and I gathered here right now. You and I are the assembly of the saints. And God says to us, He should be feared, reverential fear, in our midst. And to be had in reverence of all them that are about Him. That's why I say to you, it's not talking about you uh, cowering in a corner, terrified of God. He's talking to you and I about reverence. He uses that specific word in this verse as we seek to understand fearing Him. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about Him. So we begin to understand that God deserves our fear. He deserves our reverence because because he is God. Listen to verse 8. O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto thee, or to thy faithfulness round about thee. The question is posed, who? Who is stronger than God? Who would know more? Who would more ha have more insight? Who would be able to control the creation that he created? Only him. He is God. He controls nature. Listen to what he says in verse 9. Thou rulest the raging of the sea. When the, wa when the waves thereof arise, thou stillest them. Who can control the seas? Only God. Can man control the seas? We do our best to try to just hold the banks 
and limit erosion, never mind control the seas. We do our best to measure when there's an earthquake at the bottom of the sea to know when a tsunami is coming. We're trying to read the seas. There are parts of the depths of the sea that we ourselves still do not understand. Only God can control the seas. He is God. And we approach him with that reverential fear, that awe and wonder of who he is. So yes, he deserves our reverential fear. Yes, he is the controller of nature itself. Look at verse 10. Thou hast broken Rahab. And it's a Hebrew word for pride, for proud. He says, thou hast broken the proud in pieces as one that is slain. Thou hast scattered thine enemies with thy strong arm. And he's just reminding us to look back on the history of time. He's challenging us to look at God's hand at work. Look at the kingdoms of the past, the kingdoms of men. And look at how God brings to close those who are proud and those who are evil. You might go back to the time of the pharaohs. When the pharaohs ruled with such a mighty hand that they were able to enslave masses to build pyramids. Or maybe you think to yourself about the Nazis of World War II. When the evil, wicked hearts of Hitler and the Nazis begin to try to conquer the world and to kill people in mass. And all of a sudden God brought that time to a close. Or maybe Stalin, when you think of him mass killing his own people within his own nation and yet it came to a close as God crushed and brought to an end the Soviet Union. So here he's bringing us to a place and he's saying I want you to understand that it is God who has broken the proud in pieces as one that is slain. Thou hast scattered thine enemies with thy strong arm. And we have world history to look back and see how the God lets man's free will and evil go so far. And then he crushes it and brings it to a close. Yes, the whole duty of man is to fear in reverence and awe a great and all-powerful all God. Look at verse 12 with me. It says there in Psalms 89, The north and the south hast thou created them. Tabor and Hermon shall rejoice in thy name. He says, it is God who has placed the North Pole and the South Pole. It is God who has created our earth to spin upon its axis. It is because of God that we have a winter and a summer. That we enjoy the seasons, the equator below, the center. All that is, takes place with the wind, the winters, the, uh, the storms, the droughts, the snowstorms. All of that is from the creation of God as he created the north and the south and all that takes place on this earth that we have. I was talking to a farmer the other day here, not the other day, a couple months ago, and we were talking about how badly we needed rain in Addison County. And then this morning, a gentleman, we were talking about how that it might rain some more today. And the comment was made, well, not that we need any more rain. Isn't it interesting how that these things transpire and it moves upon the earth that we live in. You and I are dependent upon the creation of God for our very food. He reminds us that the whole duty of man is to recognize and reverence God. But if you'll go back with me to our text there in Ecclesiastes, it's not just that he calls us to fear him. Listen to what he says. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and what? Keep his commandments. Let's all say that together. Because nobody likes, you know, we're in a day and age where nobody wants to hear this part. So let's say it together because I think it's important for us to say it and to hear it. So we are to fear God and keep His commandments. 
God has, he has called all humanity, not just you and I that are Christians who come to church. He's telling us this is the whole matter for all humankind. He's saying he expects all humankind to reverence him and to keep his commandments. The world we live in would be an entirely different world if people would genuinely, sincerely keep the commandments of God. Look to the Lord in, in stewardship. Look to the Lord in charity. Look to the Lord in kindness, patience. All those things impact our daily lives, doesn't it? And all those things are built within the commandments. So he says to us, the whole duty of man is to reverence God and to keep his commandments. He looks for that obedience in each of us. John 4.24 says, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Meaning that it is our inner person that God is looking to obey his commandments. It's not necessarily always just the outward action. See, he looks within us and he knows whether we're keeping his commandments in sincerity and in truth. It's kind of like a school teacher who, when she looks out and she sees some little boy goofing around and he stands up and he's moving around and she says, Johnny, I need you to sit down. And Johnny goes ahead and he sits down and he says, but I'm standing inside. <laughs> Sometimes that's how we are. You know, we might, we might keep the commandments, but not in spirit. Not inside of us are we obedient and submitted to the Lord. But He calls us to be people who keep His commandments, both in spirit and in truth. He wants us to be His people, yielded and walking with Him. We should be that person who is a cheerful giver. A cheerful attender, a cheerful server of our Lord. More than just the surface, but right down to the heart. James 4.17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. He's saying, look, I can see right into your heart. And I can see that you do know what's right, but you choose to do what is wrong. God reads the Spirit, and He calls us to keep His commandments in spirit and in truth. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, is what Jesus said. So he does call us to obey his commandments. He says that you and I should strive to obey those things that honor God in our lives, even to the place where we love our neighbor. Do you pray for your neighbor? Do you wave when you go by? Do you know his name or her name? We live in a place, a day and an age where we're so disconnected from others, we struggle at the most basic principles and truths. God has called us. He says the whole duty of man is to fear God and to keep his commandments. And you and I, we don't need a, an ancient Greek philosopher. We don't need a fortune cookie. We just need to go to the word of God. To find out what really is the meaning of life. So what is the motivation? He gives to us in verse 14. He tells us what the whole matter of man is in verse 13. But here he goes ahead in verse 14. He gives us our motivation. He says, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. When my kids were very little and we'd go on a road trip, 
I could see my kids in my rearview mirror. Don't tell kids you know that. Because <laughs> we'd be driving down along and the kids would get picking each other, pinching or pushing or taking things. And I'd say, leave your brother alone. How'd you know, Dad? That's just what dads do. They just know. And then moms are even more amazing, aren't they? They've got some kind of supersonic hearing and intuition and all that stuff. When in reality, it may be just enough life to know what's going on when she hears that bickering and arguing in there. And they wonder, how'd you know? Well, you know what God does know? He knows everything that goes on in our lives. He says, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing. Isn't that so interesting? For God to mention the secret things. You see, maybe you or I think nobody knows. But God knows the secret thing. This week I picked up uh, the Addison Independent and I was reading down through it. And I came to the Virgin's Police News. And I was just scanning down through to find out if I was on the blotter. And I wasn't, thank the Lord for that. But I saw on there, I saw this little thing. Uh, the Virgin's Police had to do with a community individual embezzling money from the church. And I thought, no, wasn't Ann. Wasn't Ann. <laughs> wasn't our treasurer. But I went ahead and I, I thought to myself, oh, so horrible. I hate to see that happen. I hate to see that in the news. I hate to see that anywhere. But sure enough, some guy had gone ahead and embezzled thousands and thousands of dollars from one of the churches in town. And my heart broke for that. But do you know who knew, starting with the very first penny, was God. And he says to us, he says, Part of the motivation of us reverencing God and obeying his commandments is understanding that he will hold us in judgment. Yes, even for those secret things. And we should live our lives with accountability. I know that that's countercultural. Our time, our society, our world we're living in today in the West doesn't like accountability. We'd rather pass it on to the next person. You know, it, it's, it's not my fault. It's your fault. Okay. Okay, you'll take it. Okay. Sandra, Joe, and I joked that that's why we got married, was to have somebody to blame. In fact, we had something happened the other day at the house, and she said, oh, I wish I could blame that on you. <laughs> But the reality is, the Bible teaches us we should take accountability ourselves and understand that it is part of our motivation as believers to, to recognize that God knows my life. He knows my actions, my doings, my works, even my secret things. Whether it be good or whether it be evil, he says to us. I want you to look with me to Hebrews chapter 12 in your New Testament. If you turn over there and look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 23 on down. And I want you to see that yes, the Lord will judge us. It's an important part of life of understanding that there is accountability to somebody. Look down with me if you would. Hebrews 12, going to pick it up at verse um, 23. It says, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. That's us. He's talking to you and I. The general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. And to God, the judge of who? All. all. The judge of all. Not just the judge of Pastor Tim. Not just not not the judge of just Steve sitting over here or or as we look back John sitting right there You know not just the judge of joy right there hard-working school administrator slash I'm not sure your job changes all the time for me 
You know, God is not just picking and choosing who he's going to judge. He is going to judge all, every one of us. Both the saved and unsaved will stand before God. Now, you and I that are Christians, the Bible teaches us that we will stand before God in the Bema seat, the reward seat of Christ. But he says he will take all of our life's works and test them by fire. That which is good will come forth as gold, silver, and precious stone. But that which is not is consumed. We all stand before God. All our works are tested. Both the lost and the saved. And he reminds us that yes, even those secret things. So he is that judge. Look back with me again, if you would, at Hebrews 12, picking, up, picking it up in verse 23. It tells us that God shall judge all. And to the spirits of the just men made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. He draws in all that he is. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And he says he is going to hold all humanity accountable. Because he wants us to be accountable. He wants us to look at ourselves and understand that we need an all-holy, almighty God. It motivates us to look to Him and understand that we are not God. I was talking to a preacher the other day, and it came up with just the, the chaos of our culture and our, our world today. And the question came up, well, why should they live any different? If they do not believe there is a God, then why should they try to do good or right? If there's no accountability, if only what they can steal and only what they can take and only what they can do each day matters, then what's it matter if they steal from you or kill you or beat you or rape you or rob you or... What's it matter if there's no God, if there's no judgment, no accountability, if this life is nothing but what's here right now? And God says, but there is a God. And you will be held accountable. In fact, the Bible tells us every knee shall bend and every mouth shall confess that he is Lord. So when Ecclesiastes comes to the place where he's letting us understand the conclusion of the whole matter, what is life about? He wants us to understand it's about reverencing God and obeying his commandments. That he is our judge and there is an appointed day. Hebrews 9.27 says, it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. That's the reality of life. We're never going to avoid that day. It's, we've got an appointment, every single one of us. Now, when I was 10, I couldn't even imagine such a thing. But as I've gotten older, I more and more realize as my grandparents have passed away, my dad's passed away, as you see your siblings and your friends and your neighbors pass away, you realize death is real. To a child, it's shocking. To an adult, an older adult, you come to understand it's reality. So he reminds us, he says, it is appointed unto men once to die. And after that, the judgment. That's part of our motivation, is understanding that, yes, I'm not going to live forever. You know, none of us know somebody 120 years old. We all understand that just as the Bible says, our life is but a vapor. It appears for a time and then it is gone. So we look past and we look to our creator, God. And he says to us, the meaning of life itself is that we would reverence him 
and obey him. Why? Because he is our judge. Why? Because there is an appointed day. Acts 17.31 says, He hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. He says, you know who will be your ultimate judge? Jesus Christ. The one who paid for your sins and my sins upon the cross. The one who hung and, and paid the price that you might have the opportunity to live eternally. He will be the one who one day would judge us all. It should motivate us to honor him, to reverence him, to worship him. He has a plan. He's given it to us clearly. If you look with me to Revelation chapter 20, it's a very familiar text. It's not like he's, he's kept it a secret. He wants us to fully understand what that judgment day will be like. He says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead which were judged out of these things, which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the, in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So all the way back in Ecclesiastes, he tells us that God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And then we come to the very last book of the Bible. He has taken us through prophetic time and he's brought us to the judgment day and he draws out for us a picture. And he says, everybody, great or small, will stand before God. And he will open the books. And if you're in the book of life, if you've received Christ as your Savior, if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you go to heaven. But if you haven't trusted in Christ, if you haven't trusted in the sacrifice He paid for your sins, if you haven't trusted on His shed blood, then the other books are opened. And there He looks at all the works of your life, both public and secret. And he says, well, show me, show me in this book, show me where you turn from your sins and they've been washed away and you've been cleansed by the power of the Lamb of God. Show me where your sins have been blotted out because I don't see it in the, all the works of your life, even the secret works. I don't see where you've received forgiveness and your name was written in the Lamb's book of life. And he says they are cast into hell itself forevermore. You see, God wants us to understand the meaning of life. He wants us to grasp the conclusion of the whole matter. He wants us to be motivated to do the whole duty of man, which is to reverence God and obey his commandments. Sadly, around the world, there are people who say, I don't want to know God. I reject God. I will not humble myself to God or anyone. There are those who shake their fist at God. There are those who burn in effigy things representing God. As if somehow that makes, not God, that makes God not real. But you can't take away what is. You can deny it. You can try to change it. 
We live in a culture in today where people are trying to deny the most obvious things and change the most natural things. But it really doesn't change anything. I was talking to uh, Bill this morning, Bill Kipp, right there. And we were having a little bit of a biology conversation because uh, he's had prostate cancer. And they took out his prostate. And he explained to me that in a woman, and so be it, <laughs> in the urinary tract, there's a, one sphincter to stop that. In a male, there's two. I never knew that. So in the prostate, there's a separate sphincter in there to control that urinary tract. But when they take out your prostate, all of a sudden, you're more like a female. I'm just teasing you, Bill. But you know, we talk today as if, the culture we have today is if they want to deny reality. Doesn't matter how much you deny reality. Real is real. And you can deny God. You can reject God. You can shake your fist at God. That doesn't make God not God. But it does prepare the way for that judgment day. When we look at this text, it reminds me why we do missions. You and I sit comfortably in a very beautiful church building that God has blessed us with. With our wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ and we sing great songs with our song leader and our drummer and our musicians. And we worship and, and we love it. But there are people around the world who need to know. They need to know that God really does have a meaning for life. And that is to come to him in reverence, obeying him. And obeying him is receiving Christ as our savior. Living our day, letting his word light our path and our way. You and I are blessed. But there's a world that needs to know. Let's have a word of prayer. And then John is going to close us in one last verse as we go. Lord, I pray that you be with us as we go forth. I ask that you be with us as we go and represent you. Empower us to obey your commandments. And Lord, how I pray that truly, in sincerity and truth, we would reverence you. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Redeem how I love to proclaim it. Redeem by the blood of the Lamb. Redeem through his infinite mercy. His child and forever.